In 2002, Mel Gibson starred in a movie called Signs. It uh, was a science fiction thriller about a rural family trying to survive an alien invasion. On a deeper level, though, it dealt with the problem of evil. Just by way of reminder, the problem of evil simply is this. If God exists, if he's all good and all knowing and all powerful, why is there evil? Why is there suffering? In the movie, Gibson played a character named Graham Hess, a farmer and a former Episcopalian Episcopalian priest. And we learned fairly early on in the movie that he had renounced his ministry as well as his faith and his belief in God when his wife dies in a horrible car accident. Later in the movie, in a key scene, he explains his newfound atheism to his brother. And in, he tells the story of in the final exchange with his wife, her, her last words to him were these seemingly meaningless words. He said it was just the firing of synapses as the body was dying. And then as he and his brother are watching on TV this, the beginning of this alien invasion, he says, we are all alone. No one is there to help us. Now, I don't want to ruin the ending, but by the end of it, Gibson's character is able to see how all these random and seemingly unconnected quirks and events and things really were part of a larger plan. And that includes the most tremendous suffering in his life, uh, the loss of his wife. In fact, those seemingly meaningless words are revealed to actually have had a profound meaning all along. He's able to see how God brings good out of evil, how even the greatest tragedy in his life plays a part in God's larger plan, so to speak. You know, those themes in the movie of signs, problem of evil, God's providence, his plan, and God bringing good out of evil, Those are all themes that are present to one degree or another in our readings for today, especially in our first reading from the book of Job, which, I mean, honestly, at first glance, this reading is very dark, begins by saying, is not life on earth a drudgery? And it ends with incredibly gloomy sentiment. I shall not see happiness again. What's behind this despairing outlook? Well, in one sense, I think we see the difficulty of the problem of evil here. It's not just an intellectual and a philosophical problem. It has an emotional component as well. And just kind of by fuller context, the book of Job, it begins with God permitting, allowing severe affliction um, uh, to be placed upon Job so that his righteousness would be shown true for all to see, rather than just the result of of a comfortable life of good fortune, etc., etc. Job doesn't know that. And so, in the blink of an eye, Job loses his livelihood, his house, his health, and his children. And in the midst of this tremendous pain, three of his friends come to visit him, and they tell him, all of this happened because you sinned. Your wickedness has brought this upon you. You need to admit that and repent. Job, for his part, 
is steadfast, that he's innocent, that he has not gravely offended God. And so most of the book is this exchange between the friends, the three friends, and Job. But as Job is defending himself throughout the book, it dawns on him. He knows he's innocent. He also knows God has punished him severely. So why is God punishing an innocent man? And he demands an answer of God. And at the end of the book of Job, God shows up and speaks and answers. And God speaks directly to Job for for several chapters at the end. And he begins by asking him these rhetorical questions. He says, where were you, Job, when I formed the universe out of nothing? Were you there when I formed the mountains with my hands or, or cut off the line of the sea? Have you ever measured the depths of the ocean and and, and on and on, various questions like that? God's point is, you don't have my perspective. God's point is that the suffering of Job is one sentence in a a massive novel, thousands of pages, uh, a 10,000 page novel. You know, if if you did that, if you took one sentence out of a huge novel, it it would make no sense. But placed in the larger context, Uh, It makes perfect sense. We need the perspective of God to see that. Job's suffering is not without cause. God is essentially saying, and God tells him to trust him, to trust in the Lord that he does have a plan, that this suffering is part of a larger context. Job, for his part, accepts that and is vindicated as innocent. That's how the book of Job deals with the problem of evil. Shows that God... His providence is at work. We can't always see how, but we need to trust. But that's not the last word the Bible has to say on the problem of evil. That is found in the Gospels and with Jesus Christ. Now, in our Gospel, we see Jesus in Capernaum, this town on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he's working miracle upon miracle. He's healing people their infirmities. So, right away, we see God's response to human suffering is not just trust me there's a plan but in Jesus God made flesh he actually reaches out and heals people but then at dawn Jesus leaves he goes off to a deserted place everyone's looking for him there's more people in Capernaum who need healing and he says we must go off to another town you know somebody could easily object he 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 cured some people who were sick Sickness is still in Capernaum, and it's still with us today. He didn't end sickness. You know, and then the problem of evil, it has this emotional dimension. And people can say, why didn't Jesus heal my mother, my father, when they were sick and dying? Or my husband or wife, my son or daughter? Why did he let them die if he could have healed them? And that's... That's the the difficulty of the problem of evil. It's not just an intellectual argument. It strikes a deep chord with us. The answer, in general, is Jesus came to cure a deeper sickness. He came to strike at the very root of evil. And as hard as that is for us to hear when we're in the throes of suffering, the greatest evil is not physical pain or illness, It's not emotional anguish or or, um, fill in the blank with any kind of suffering. It's sin. The wages of sin are death. He came to strike at the root. 
of evil, sin, and death. And he does this by the cross and resurrection. But the cross is actually God's definitive response to the problem of evil. The cross shows us that God's not aloof to our suffering because he becomes a man like us in all things but sin, and he endures tremendous suffering, tremendous evil on our behalf. And the cross ultimately shows us how God brings good out of evil. The fact that we call the day Christ died Good Friday is a paradox because what happened on Good Friday objectively is very evil. The most innocent of men was executed. Christ died uh, falsely accused and wrongly convicted. He died abandoned by friends, rejected by the religious authorities, rejected by the civil authorities, rejected by the crowd. He died this physically torturous death, this shameful death, and was buried in a tomb. And all the hopes that were put in him seemed buried with him. But God took this tremendous evil and transformed it into the greatest of good goods, the font of our salvation. And this is the prism through which we must see all the suffering in our life. Now, the one difference is the apostles had to wait three days to get some sense of, the, of what happened on Good Friday, that Good Friday wasn't a defeat but a great victory. We might have to wait till heaven, but the cross is the sign for us that the problem of evil has an answer. The cross is the sign for us that God is not aloof to our suffering, that our suffering plays a role in his greater plan, and that he alone can bring good out of evil. So let us trust in him, even in the worst moments of our life.